Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining us on a very special episode of Roses and Rhetoric, episode number 31. I'm your host, Jimmy Hackett. Joining me, as always, my charming co-host. Joseph Stanford. And everybody can see we have a very special guest today, Grant Brogy, who's joining us from Orange County at the Strength Co. Grant, thank you for being here. Good to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. So we have a lot of good questions for Grant today. They're going to essentially fall into, into three main themes. So for anybody kind of catching this intro part, we're going to be talking to Grant first about lifting more in general. We're then going to talk about what it's like to own a manufacturing business uh, in this day and age. And then we're going to finally wrap up a conversation with a conversation about design. And in particular, some of the decisions that Grant made designing equipment that he's now giving to his gym clients. So Joe, when you're ready, let's hop right into it. we got a busy show ahead of us. Sure thing. Okay, Grant. So I understand that you come from South Carolina and that since then you've transplanted to South California. Yeah, there you go. And I'd like to, I'd like to, I'd like for you to speak a little bit about when did you start lifting? Um, when did you open your gym and just walk us through that whole transition? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I lifted like anyone did, you know, in high school, whatever, walking into the YMCA, bench pressing, doing something. I think I got the Arnold Schwarzenegger encyclopedia for bodybuilding at age like 15. Right. So, you know, was always kind of interested into it. Started playing college or rugby in college and kind of lifted more squats, deadlifts, had no idea what I was doing, but was lifting. But it really wasn't until I commissioned as lieutenant in the Marine Corps that I got serious about what, you know, we call training, meaning not just going into the gym and doing stuff for an hour, but with an objective and the objective being strength. And Grant, just to kind of touch on that, I know um, that the Strength Co. has certain tie-ins with starting strength, of course, a very popular weightlifting program put on by Mark Ripito. You talk about training. Let's dive into that a little bit. I mean, probably many people have worked out before, but I'm not sure many people have actually followed a program. So when you right. first began lifting and primarily even for getting in shape with the Marines, what were the, what were the, the key objectives you had with regards to strength? endurance and power that were guiding you for your programming? Yeah. So, I mean, when I started training myself for the Marine Corps, I did all the things in order to uh, achieve a high score and a physical fitness test to get accepted as an officer. So, you know, uh, 23 dead hang pull-ups it is now, 115 crunches, you know, a three-mile run it, to be competitive under 19 minutes. And so that was kind of what I was doing at first. Hey, I was really training for an event. But then as time went on and I got my first platoon as an artilleryman, what I found is, hey, here's all these, you know, 18 year old kids that are 160 pounds trying to move 100 pound rounds around and they're hurting their back or they can't physically do the job. And that's where I'd go in between saying there's something called training and there's something called exercise. You know, starting strength talks about this a lot. Exercises. I get hot and sweaty. I get, you know, I burn calories. Right. How many jelly donuts did I eat? You know, how much did I run around the house? here's my body weight where training is saying, Hey, this we're training for a specific outcome. Does it just have to be strength? You see this in, you know, in sprinting and, you know, in cycling and these other things, but for us, it's, Hey, we're going to apply a stress to the body with these big lifts, allow you to recover it or recover from it so that next time you can do more. And so it's not just walking into the gym, doing the same thing over and over. So you mentioned these big lifts. So what would be an example of some of these big lifts? Are you referring to squats, deadlifts? Um, what, what exactly would you say are the quintessential pieces of the, of the workouts? Yeah. So, and it kind of depends who the person is a little bit, but really, you know, I think you have to back up a little bit before you answer that. You say, okay, if the goal is strength, whether it's so that grandma doesn't fall over or so that artillery men can move his hundred pound round or the sprinter can, you know, do the 40 yard dash, you know, all of those things are force production and we produce force by our muscles, moving our skeletal system around. So if I want to get stronger, I ask, what's the most intelligent way to do that. And it would be to train the entire body at once. You know, you walk into crunch and you see the guy just working the right hamstring and, and not that that's bad, right. but it's much better to bend at the waist, grab a barbell with two hands, load both hamstrings, quads, lats, core, you know, all that stuff and work the whole body at once. So when you, when you kind of say, okay, the goal strength, I want to train my body as a system because that's how it's used. Then how do I do that? Well, barbells become a really easy solution because they use most muscle mass, great range of motion, allow you to use the most weight. So to answer your question, 
the foundation squat, overhead press, we just call it the press, uh, the bench press, everyone's pretty familiar with, and the deadlift is the core for everyone. Uh, athletes or, you know, younger people or people that don't have any joint issues, I really like to get them doing the Olympic lift. So like the power clean and the power snatch. So, you know, remember there's two sports in this world, powerlifting, squat, bench, deadlift, big fat guys outside trailer park smoking cigarettes and, you know, doing crazy stuff. And then Olympic lifting, which is the ones that it's the sport of weightlifting. We call it Olympic lifting here in the U.S., which is the picking up from the ground, stopping here, going overhead or ground overhead in one movement. Um, you mentioned uh, what you mentioned the bench press as part of that. Uh, as part of the lifts. Um, I want to know what your opinion is on the incline bench press versus the standard bench press. I see a lot of controversy out on Twitter. I know people like AJ Cortez um, is a strong advocate of uh, incline bench press. So yeah. I, I'd like to get your take on that. So I think a well-rounded program that includes squats, deads, presses, and bench presses that you don't really need it. I don't love the position of the shoulder ended at heavy loads. I'm a strength mm -hmm. coach. So I want to see people using heavy loads. Heavy's relative, but the, you know, the amount that that person can do at the same time, if, if my thing on strength is fix the sickness most people are sick with weakness and i just it's true right if you can't deadlift your body weight for five you have a problem that's going to manifest itself later in life so my rule when people come into our gyms and they say hey i want to incline hey i want to do barbell curls can i do you know tricep extensions and this and that all, all that's fine but i say let's fix the illness first and then you can do stuff. So I don't, I don't take a big position on the incline bench. If you want to do it and you got a big bench, go for it. Do I think it's the best use of time? No, but that's not the cross I'm going to die on. I'm, I'm at least glad you got a barbell in your hands. I, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm still thinking about the uh, people smoking cigarettes uh, hitting the power lifts. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> great, 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 great sport. And the nicest people you go to oh, powerlifting sure. meet, you're in the warm up room. Hey bro, what's up? You know, in the, in the South it's rednecks and it's just, uh, yeah, it's a great group of people. They, I, I worry about their heart health long-term, but they do do so. They do do some interesting things on the deadlift program uh, platform. <laughs> So uh, let's talk a little bit about, uh, you, know, you were kind of getting into it, I think a little bit talking about elderly and weightlifting. And I kind of just wanted to broaden that a little bit to, to the psychology of lifting weights and what it does for you as a person. And I'm really interested to get, you know, we've heard plenty of people give kind of testimonies about how lifting weights increases their confidence. I really am curious to hear you talk from the, from the point of view of someone in the military the role that that kind of confidence has. And then also the way that lifting weights is really kind of the, the prototype for addressing all problems, right? It's a complex problem, put it down into simple steps. You do step one, and then what do you do? You do step two, and then you do the process continuously. I imagine that kind of problem solving has very strong mental components in the military. Talk a little bit about that and your experience with it. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. That systematic approach, military people love, and so do nerds from Twitter, to be honest with you. You know, we get a lot of right, guys right that, that, How dare yeah. you? No, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, I think, I think what I saw that kind of, if you had asked me when I started training my Marines, if I was going to open gyms, I would have said, no way, right? I, I wouldn't, I wasn't thinking like that. But what I watched is strength have a really big impact on the life of people. And you got to remember who, not all, but, you know, the 18 to 22 year old kid, it's joining the Marine Corps. Maybe he wants to be a part of a cause greater than himself. Maybe the judge told him he have to, has to. Maybe he's an escaping, you know, his parents. Who knows what it is? But you see a wide variety. You know, it's not, it's not choir boys. Um, and so I, I say all that to say you get some of these guys and weight training provides a kind of like a basis and like a grounding. And, you know, you get a brand new private. It's fresh out of boot camp. He just gets yelled at and, you know, gets told when to eat and all that stuff. And then when his leaders, you know, his sergeants and his corporals are training him in physical strength and actual, you know, deadlifting. And all of a sudden you have this kid who's always been kind of picked on or whatever his thing is. And he's, and he's deadlifting 225 and then 315. You see them as leaders, you know, chest kind of pokes out a little bit. Right. They got a little bit more confidence. Now they're a corporal on the battlefield. Right. Or they're an artilleryman and they got to make real time decisions. And they that what they've learned of doing things that are hard. My favorite time in the gym 
with new people. Everyone comes in. We're not going to kill you day one. We want you to learn the movements. But about three weeks in, this happens about 90% of lifters, Marines, civilian, doesn't matter. They go to deadlift something. And for the first time, it's actually heavy. And they go to do the first one. They put about a half a second of strain. They go, oh, I can't. Right? Women, men, everyone does this. And then someone yells at them, preferably very loud, and says, no, you can. And then they do five. When they thought they couldn't do one and they put it down, we see this business people, you know, well off. It doesn't matter who you are. They put it down and they're like, oh, wow, I just did something that I thought I couldn't do once five times. And that mental psychology is is really um, it's really powerful stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, you touched on this a little bit in that previous answer, but I know some of the testimonials that I've seen and I, I think on kind of the starting strength. YouTube channel, but a lot of it pertains to, to female lifters who yeah. aren't used to working out, aren't used to going to the gym. The first few weeks, you know, they kind of get, you know, not bullied, but it's kind of, you know, someone takes the bench from them when they're not looking, someone cuts in front of them in life for the water fountain. That goes on for maybe a couple of weeks. But once they start putting up the weight, that shit stops real quick. It's no, I mean, on that bench and you're going to wait for me to be finished, so on and so forth. Yeah, it, it's, you know, it's really important. It's important for everyone, but it's, it's particularly neat to see the effects it has on women. And, and what I mean by that is women wouldn't, I shouldn't say naturally, but they're not as inclined to lift weights. Every guy, you know, most guys go to the gym, hey, what can you bench, bro, whatever. But a lot of females, they, they see this stuff and, you know, it's scary. It's big. It's heavy looking. It looks hard. They won't know how to do it. You know, they don't want guys staring at them, all that kind of stuff. But then when they do it, you know, it's uh, I had a gal text me this morning. She was in the gym real early and she said, I just squatted 180 for three sets of five, um, which I know isn't that much weight. But I looked around and it's more than four of the men in here. Day made. Right. And but and, and but that's but that's like really important stuff because it's very empowering. Um, and so, yeah, no, you're exactly right. The confidence that, you know, that they have and men, too. Right. Not just women, but basically someone that's. My mom, right? I, I mean, I tweet about my mom all the time, but like her life's really changed, not only physically and what she can do with her 14 grandkids, but just her confidence, right? Like she can, she could pick up 212 pounds in her garage by herself with yep. no one. And that's, you know, huge, huge stuff. Yep. So this concept of strength is one that's intrigued me for a very long time. I've, I personally have been lifting weights for I don't know, maybe 15 years or so. And for the vast majority of that time, I was mainly thought strength was like, okay, let me, let me go to the bicep curl machine and like make my bicep muscle stronger, or let me make my pectoral strength uh, muscle stronger. And what I found was that I, I eventually just degraded my body so much and had so much injury potential upon me that I was afraid to do some of these uh, more compound lifts, like the squat and the deadlift. So now after listening to some of the starting strength material, when I think of strength, I don't think of it necessarily as an individual muscle, but maybe more as like a, a core uh, strengthening, a metric of the core strength. Um, am yeah, am I, I on the right track of thinking that? Yeah, I, I think so. And I mean, we, we don't always say core because it's like a buzzword and everyone just thinks abs and you're trying to get people to think really from their feet to their right, head, right? right? You know, mm -hmm. the, the, body, thing. the body as a whole, the body, the yeah. body as a whole, but yeah. um. But no, I think it's what I always tell people is you don't get stronger from being in the gym. You get stronger from recovering from what you did in the gym. And the, you particularly see this with young guys, you know, two a days, three a days. They, they want to go, 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 go. And there's a stress bank, right? And the, there's only so much stress you can take out of that. Or actually, I should say there's a recovery bank. There's only so much recovery you can take out of that to fill the strength until you run out. So back to you need to fix the sickness. Someone comes in, they say, I run four miles, you know, four days a week. This is my mom, right? My mom said day one, you know, Hey, I run four miles, four days a week. I said, mom, you can't hold the bottom position of an air squat. You can't get up off the bench without pressing off your quads. Your heart's healthy. Your body weight's healthy, but you're weak. And so as she said, but I love running. I said, just don't run for a couple months and get your squat up. She did. Now she still runs two days a week and that's fine. Right. And you know, her deadlift, you know, hovers and it's different when you're older, you have to mitigate the risk and decide what you're trying to do. But you know, you can add some of those things in later um, once you get strong. But yeah, I think I think the way to think about it is a holistic approach and strength for function, strength for function. And we want aesthetics, right? We want 
I don't think I look terrible, right? We want aesthetics. And so, you know, that's where I think some of these things get a bad rep sometimes. I don't want you to be a fat power lifter. Right. You know, I don't want you to be overweight. I don't want you to have a 42 inch waist. You have to manage these things sure. and strength should be the foundation. And uh, that's especially true in your case for the military application, because of course, run times are still a part of the PT as totally. are also body weight requirements as well. We've been talking a little bit about starting strength and I kind of just wanted to give you a chance to maybe kind of explain what the relationship is between the, the strength co and starting strength. Is it an affiliate gym? Is it a, is it its own separate thing? How, how did the two, uh, interact with each yeah, other? Yeah. 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 No, I'm a, I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge fan, very thankful for starting strength kind of built my gym business off the backs of it. Uh, I opened two affiliate gyms here. Well, I became a coach and they put you on a, a directory. Then I was training out of my garage on the weekends, you know, if I wasn't, didn't have Marine stuff. And I remember being in my garage one day and noticing that I was out of waivers and I, and I counted and I, I was like 80 something. And I was like, wow, I've had like 80 randos come through a one car garage in Costa Mesa and pay for it. Uh, like, Hey, I should do something about this. And so then if you want to be an affiliate gym with starting strength, there's some metrics, you know, if the owner has to be a starting strength coach and then, you know, you have to say, hey, I have platforms, this and that. It's changed a little bit over time. Uh, you know, now they have franchise gyms that they're opening. And so, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a, a different thing. But, yeah, I, uh, I'm a starting strength coach, uh, good friend of Rips, or at least I like to think so. Um, I'm on the seminar staff, which is a, a lot of fun for us to go around and teach those things. And we do the method in here, um, you know, almost exclusively. Again, things change depending on, you know, I guess where, you know, I probably have a little bit of variance is you, like, like uh, anybody, an older lifter or even me, right? So I, I had to figure out what it was like to get strong, right? There's still a lot of people stronger than me, but you know, I wanted to squat 500, deadlift 600, whatever. I had to figure out how to do all that it caused, you know, body weight increases, all that stuff. But I had to show that I have taken the time to say, hey, I'm an average guy and I can get here. But then after a while, like, I don't ever really squat above 440 anymore. Um, you know, in my opinion, it's why. If I look back at my training log and stuff that happens, it's, you know, if you get a back tweak and whenever you have that stuff, it's at those maximal loads. And I guess the way to think about it is we're getting strong to handle life. And right. so 440 versus 500, I'm su super glad I did that. And I know, sure. hey, I went, I went, you know, zero to say, to 405 in three months and then it took me three years to get to 500 right and that was a lot of learning and programming and all that stuff but anyway yeah uh, i wanted to I, I guess you know we could always come back to some lifting questions i want to make sure you have some time for our other segments so i was thinking uh you know kind of building off i know one of the things mark repetoso is talking about is this idea of of this the, the narrow casting of starting strength and you kind of mentioned it earlier the idea that it's it wants it to be a nerd to kind of follow these programs and kind of to, and to understand them. Have you, have you found that it's hard to convince people that this method works, especially when you have younger people that are 18, 19, you know, I 18 year old boys are no chore to get to do what you want them to do. So do you, do you have a hard time getting people to believe in you that this will actually work for them? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Uh, no, I do. And, you know, when I opened the gyms, I had all those people come to the garage. And, you know, there's a saying, if you build it, they will come. And that's not true. If you build it and sell it really, really hard and don't sleep and continue to try and sell it, you might fill half of it. Um, but no, it's so let's let's touch on this in a couple different ways. Young sure. people are going to be probably the least likely to do this. And why? You don't realize you're losing function until you've lost function. So unless you got a guy that, you know, just loves the gym or an athlete, you know, uh, athlete, young athletes are easy to sell because you say, why did Sammy Sosa take steroids? What do you mean? Why did he take steroids? Did it make his swing better? No. Why did he take it? Because he got stronger. Okay, you're a baseball player. Like, let's just get you stronger. Um, and, and so you can kind of sell that for young kids. For middle-aged, I ask this to every new person that comes in the gym. You know, why did you come here? Well, I felt like I should get stronger. Why? Why? Because last week you had no interest in deadlifting and you woke up today. Did your back hurt? Like what happened? <laughs> well, I don't know. It just kind of like made sense. You know, and it, people, they come to it, but it's, it's hard to convince people. You have to want to do this. You, anyone can go sit in the spin room for 45 minutes and endure. 
But if you're going to lift and actually get stronger, it gets harder every session. And so um, I think showing people for the older crowd, I think showing them um, people like themselves is very helpful. You know, we have a 84 year old woman that comes in uh, Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, and she lifts. Everyone else is probably under 50. But when they see her, that's kind of like a like a oh, like, you know, I didn't I don't feel like coming in, but I know Corky's going to go in there and, you know, put the work in. Um but yeah, it's, it's not a real, it's not, you know, some people would say it's the easiest thing to sell because it works and it does, but it, it takes a certain type of person that, you know, is, is believing. And I, what I think it comes down to is personal responsibility that you're responsible for your strength. You're responsible to make sure that you don't end up in a home. You know, you're responsible to make sure that your back doesn't hurt all the time. So you can run your business or whatever the case is. And yeah, I don't know if that answers it, but no, it's, it's not. Yeah, yeah it's not yeah. easy. But if you can get someone to do it, right, and they have and they have results, then they're hooked. But it's just you know, this is another part you know on a business side that it's really important not for health to manage people's overall composition and stuff. But you walk into the gym, if you don't see anyone you want to look like, even though we're selling strength, <laughs> you're like, right. wait a second, right? And I get that, and so right. you have to you know manage that. The, the 45-year-old guy should come in, look at the other 45-year-olds, be like, oh, yeah, okay, this works. They're deadlifting 315, and they're, you know, and they look good, or whatever the case is. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. I, people stumble upon the truth for all sorts of funny reasons, and it's harder to yeah. know what works for somebody. But, uh, John, I'm going to give it back to you. Let's give uh, maybe one or two more for another thing, and then we'll go to our album of the week for this week. Yeah, the to follow up on you're talking about keeping people out of homes. I remember watching a, a Ripito video one time, and that's something that he mentioned was that you don't go to nursing homes because you're sick, but you go there because you're weak. So if you can maintain that strength or at least keep a strong foundation of it going into your later years, that that seems like a pretty good motivation. I mean, um, I, I I never I've never been north of sixty, right? But that's where you yeah. start to see the 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 decline. And, you know, I, my, I, both of my grandmothers are alive. One's at a home up in mass and, you know, she has a walker mostly in the weird wheelchair. Um, the other one, you know, has to grab the table to go around the corner. And um, what I always say to people, I mean, it's not morbid. I say, what happens to grandma? She gets up, she falls, she breaks her hip because she's weak. Then she gets pneumonia because she's bedridden yeah. and she dies. Right. And so, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's real important. So before you put a barbell in, in the hands of someone that might be elderly or particularly injury prone, um, what, what type of special considerations would you recommend a person like that takes to avoid injury? Yeah. So for an older person, you know, and obviously I'm in the coaching business, but I really think, for, I think for everyone, they should start by getting coached. But for an older person, I think it's really important to have an intelligent coach. You know, we basically do day one when I get an older person is first I'm just going to chat with them because most of the time they're a little bit nervous or something but I'm also picking up a whole bunch of data so they walk in I watch how they open the door how they walked in and then I say mm -hmm. why don't you have a seat here on this bench do they grab the quads do they reach back and brace it right so I'm already getting a bunch of kind of where they're at um, and then generally with older people and I'm talking north of 70 um, I'm going to be real careful with their knees. So when they first start, they're probably not going to squat. I'm going to start them off with a real light, light rack pull. You know, I don't even know if I can get them all the way down into the deadlift, but if I can get the bar to about their knees and they just stand, we can start making a lot of progress. Uh, I'm going to check, you know, with a real light bar, or even a pipe, what they can do overhead. A lot of older people have lost a lot of range of motion here. Mm -hmm. Most people I'm not pressing day one, I'm bench pressing. So you know, this is stuff that you learn over time that you have to hurt people to figure out. I don't say that lightly. I bet right. I've definitely injured some people over the years. Um, and it just takes, you know, it just takes time. But for the older folks that need this the most, um, yeah, I think you got to try and get some help at least to get, at least to get started. And it doesn't take that long. And my mom's not super old, but she's my mom and my dad, they're 62 and four. And, you know, October, whenever year they started, October to December, I said, you got to go drive to this guy. It's an hour each way, twice a week. And when I come home at Christmas, I'll build you a home gym. First one we built, besides my own. And, uh, and so by the time I got there in December, they knew what was going on enough that now they were going once a week to the coach doing two workouts in their garage on their own. And so it doesn't take a whole long time. And that's kind of my goal, and I'll stop running my suck. But 
I actually, I want you to be a member of the gym forever, hopefully because you like the people in the community. Hmm. But what I want is you to be a self-sufficient lifter. I want you to get you to where you can take care of yourself because you're not always going to have me or someone else to take care of you for you. Amazing. And as we round out this uh, specific lifting section, uh, I had two more questions that I wanted to get to get your take on because I haven't been able to really get a good answer on these yet. Um, first question is about the, the weight belt. When do you use the weight belt? Um, is it good to use? I know some lifters that say it's horrible to use in any case. I know some people that say you absolutely have to. So the weight belt and then the ass to the grass squat. Yeah. So for the belt, it's real simple. Back to kind of the principles of the reason we're doing all this stuff, trying to get stronger. How do we get stronger? Most muscle mass, greatest range of motion. So greatest effective range of motion, which will play into the squats you're talking about for the belt. I generally don't have people use it when they first start because most people do not know how to control the muscles of their lumbar, right? These lumbar on either side of the spine so that they can interior pelvic tilt and all that stuff. So I want them to figure that out and the belt can be an obstacle to that. Um, why, what am I doing when I'm squatting or deadlifting? I'm doing something called the Valsalva maneuver, right? Core training. I'm breathing all this air in down to this corridor. And then I'm bracing, I'm bracing the abs. And I often teach people say, it's like stopping a cough, breathe in and you feel your abs contract. So now when I'm squatting or deadlifting heavy and I'm down into the bottom of that load, my abs could, I don't want to say fail, but they may not be able to handle the load and boom, now my lower background. So I'm trying to prevent that. The belt allows me to use more of me. It allows me to contract my abs harder because there's something to push on. Think of pushing against the air versus pushing against this rack. So that's the belt. Again, there's so many things that people want to like fight over. It's not even worth it. Just squat, man. I mean, squat correctly. And then mm -hmm. the belt. Yeah, I think everyone should end up using a belt if you want to use the most load. It's kind of like the shoe argument. You know, well, you could squat more in shoes than you can without shoes. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And then if you can squat more with shoes on, when you take your shoes off, you'll squat more right. than, you know, I mean, so it's, it's the same kind of deal. Um, but usually to answer the finer point of that, you're probably looking about month two, uh, sure. you know, where someone, hey, let's throw a belt on. I usually introduce it in the press just because in the press, mm. it's very, there's not a lot of things going on. You know, when they squat, they're going to feel some stuff, pinch, it's going to be uncomfortable. So they get used to learning how to use the abs, you know, against the belt in the press. And then we add it in um, later. As far as the squats. Okay. There's, you know, there's two ways to, oh, there's a bunch of ways to squat, but most people put the bar high up on their back, you know, on the mm -hmm. top of the delts there. And we call it a high bar squat. All this comes down to is physics. Okay. So if the bar is high on my back, then in order to stay in balance and not fall over, I have to keep a real vertical back angle. Because I'm in balance over the middle of my foot. I, God decide, decided that, not me. So that, that's where the bar goes. It, or that's what my back's going to look like if it's up high. We put it lower on the back. Why? Well, because now I have to sit back and lean over when I squat, which loads more of me and the goal of strength. Is the first one bad? No, I'd make the argument that it's probably not as great for your knees over a long time, but it's not bad. The other one is more general and uses more of you. Okay, if I'm doing the low bar squat or the, you know, with the bar lower on the back, in order for me to get ass to grass, I have to round the lumbar. It's the only way that happens. It's the only way that happens. So if I stay real upright, I can sit down on a squat, you know, like third world style squat, and I can still have a, a flat back and, you know, go ass to grass. If I go down, you can get a little bit below parallel, you know, in the low bar. But if usually what happens if they go ass to grass is you see the lumbar going into flexion, which is going to lead to inflammation and other things. Is, it, is that also, the butt wink? Yeah, sure, but wink, whatever. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of. But but also the thing to remember is, okay, what's the benefit besides saying you know A two G on Twitter? You know, what's the benefit of that style of squat? Because no more muscle ma mass is recruited. If more muscle mass is recruited, hey, now you're speaking my language because that means I can use more weight. But no mm -hmm. more is uh, used. So if you go deeper, and even if you're one of those people that could stay rigid way below parallel, they those, these people exist. There's no benefit, and it just opens you up for more risk of an injury. So, um, yeah, that's where I am on that. You're great. Album of the week. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, Joe, when you're ready, album of the week this week. It should be say it's a good one. 
Yes, uh, the album of the week this week is uh, called Light Up Gold, and um, the artist is Parquet Quartz. And Jim, I know you had a, a good yeah. chance to listen to this album. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Yes, I my, my first thoughts when I heard this album is that it belonged on Tony Hawk Pro Skater. It had a great punk rock feel to it. Uh, the way that I envisioned it is uh, a bus of high school kids going to the big football game with popped collars and clouds of Axe body spray. I mean, this, uh, this song is good for any and all age groups. And uh, just was a, it was a ton of fun. There's actually a live show uh, with most of the songs from this album uh, that the band did that was put on by, I, I believe, a, a radio station somewhere. Uh, videos on YouTube are going to post it all down below. A ton of fun. Be sure to check it out. Um, we're getting the write-up for this one as usual. We'll get that posted later on in the week. But uh, it was a super fun album. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I'm a big fan of punk rock myself. Um, I can I can tell from Grant's haircut that he is too. And uh, <laughs> it's a, it was a lot of fun and just a, it's a solid album. Okay, Grant, what are what are some of your uh, favorite pump up songs? Or like when, when you're trying to max out on the bench, like is there like a go to song or album or something you have artist? I kind of stay pretty consistent when I lift, meaning I tell people not to lift off emotion, uh, you know. So <laughs> no, but I, I probably not a go to. I listen to a lot of old country music when I lift. Right. Um, it just kind of like spaces me out, which is you know part of the reason I like lifting is just kind of tuning out from everything that's going on. Uh, yeah. I like some Daft Punk that I listen to. I really like reggae music. Um, so, you know, we play around. Then when I'm coaching, you know, we usually, we, we, we play all kinds. It depends on your demographic, right? Like right, who, you're, right. who you're getting. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't say there's like, oh, if I'm squatting heavy, it's this song. Um, but you, you definitely, a lot of Waylon Jennings going on in my lifting videos. <laughs> nice. Nothing yeah. wrong with that. Well, so let's, let's transition the conversation to kind of what actually got Grant on our radar, which was a few weeks ago, Grant was featured in an article that described kind of how his gym adapted to COVID. And I thought it was one of the coolest stories I've ever read. We talked a lot about kind of innovation, looking for the hidden option, something that Nassim Taleb always talks about in a lot of his writing and a lot of, a lot of his works. And I read the story about Grant and his gym, and I thought, this is capitalizing on the option. This is what that is. Um, Grant, I, maybe kind of just set the stage a little bit for kind of what led to the evolution of the gym into kind of the weight manufacturing, squat bench manufacturing world. And then we'll talk a little bit about some of the specifics afterwards. Yeah, I made a PowerPoint five years ago and planned out how the next five years would go, and then we executed. That's that it. was it, right? Uh, yeah. yeah, that's it. That's it. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, I... I always say I opened my gym by accident, meaning I was in my garage coaching people and all of a sudden they had a brick and mortar space. Uh, we kind of did the manufacturing somewhat like that. The, the way to best put this is, you know, two brick and mortar gyms had just gotten off active duty, six employees at the time, March closure happens. And so two things really popped in my mind. One, I thought it was going to be a while, you know, reading all Taleb stuff you know it, it seemed like it wasn't just going to be two weeks so one like how do you take care of people during that because like the gym is a place most of the time it's people's favorite part of the day you know yeah. and, and a small group like this they come in they get uplifted they get you know they get to work out and it's like a big thing mental release the stress from work goes away all that kind of stuff so one I thought of that and then two I thought how do I not go bankrupt you know I mean that was a real thought for me or or how do I I could make it work you know I was hedged myself with my other coaching things and stuff, but like I have these employees, you know, right. that um, I need to care for. And so the business thought was provide the same service, you know, of coaching, uh, but from people's homes. And so that's kind of why we deployed all the equipment. Everything you see in here was out. And we first started by making those wooden Home Depot squat racks. And I was buying a bunch of stuff wholesale. I mean, I was, the weights hadn't hit what they ended up peaking out or even where they're at now. But, you know, I was cruising up these, you know, fitness depots where they have used stuff, you know, from where gyms closed and just buying, you know, 10,000 pounds of well, just everything. And so it was, it was a, it was a risk, but I thought, you know, one that was uh, intelligent. So then we, as we outfitted people, I, we, I didn't even really have the conversation probably the first 45 days, we would just rolled up to people and put stuff in their homes. And then as we kind of got our bearings and got settled, you know, based on what people had, we'd say, Hey, you were paying this. I'm going to raise you up because we brought you this much stuff, or I'm going to take you down because you're only doing this, you know, and kind of work that. So we maintained, you know, 
we were able to maintain people and thus revenue. That was kind of why we, how we got there. Now, watching a watching an interview with you and Ripito, I remember Mark was saying that um, pig iron, I think, is what it's called, or steel back in his day was like forty cents a pound. And then once yeah. the COVID hit, I think that you mentioned that the cost eventually rose to somewhere in the neighborhood of like two, three dollars a pound. So obviously that's going to be one of your most expensive assets if you if you want to lift some serious weight. So can you talk yeah. to us about how, how you mitigated those extra costs and the weights? Yeah, so I mean, a couple different ways to, to, to think about that. So what he was particularly talking about was already constructed cast iron weights. And as long as I've, you know, lived, if you want to go buy a used set, you know, of, of cast iron, you know, people sell it by the pound. You're looking something like, you know, 80 cents to a buck is kind of what it's been since I've been doing this for 15 years. Um, well, you, and you could find cheap stuff, 30 cents. Someone didn't know what they were, you know, had or whatever. As this hit, the cost of weights went north of $2. Uh, and most of it, what happened is people got in the game, right? And a lot of the people we bought from was frustrating because I felt like we were trying to do a good thing, outfit people, whatever. But what you saw is people just scooping and, re- and you know, marking it oh, up sure. and reselling. I mean, and, that, and that's economics, right? right? I mean, that is what it mm-hmm. is. But so you saw that cost rise. And that's a different thing. That's supply and demand already created things that exist on the market. What's someone willing to pay for it? Um, and so we basically could not mitigate that. So we were trying to make more home gyms and I couldn't find weights. And if I did, I'm talking $4, 450 a pound. So I'm trying to get, you know, neighbor a gym so he could pay, you know, a couple hundred bucks a month. But now I'm in at a thousand dollars in the weights. I don't have a rack. I don't have a barbell. So we could not get around that. So that's when we said, Hey, we're just going to make it. So we're making the wooden ones. And then we started making the steel ones. Um, and you know, it just evolved along the way. So there's steel, there's iron steel right now, like steel tubing or piping. I mean, it's just through the roof. It's higher than it's ever been. It cost me more to make one of these than it ever has, you know, now that we've been at it for 18 months. Um, but the biggest thing that it came down to was plates because we, no one was making them in the U.S. Um, outside of some bumpers in Alabama, no one like no one was making right. them in the U.S. So you had York and Pennsylvania that used to back in the day. They moved to Canada and then ultimately to China. And then a lot of people thought Rogue, good company. But a lot of people thought Rogue's plates yeah. were, but, but they weren't. It was all Chinese, uh, the plates. So that was where... I thought there was a good opportunity to, you know, say, Hey, if I can actually, you know, manufacture this at scale um, and be the only person doing it, it's going to cost more than people are used to, but there's nothing available right now. It'll be a high end product. And I think we'll talk design later, but Hey, let me see if I can do this. And that's when I just, you know, started calling foundries, you know, filling out forms, that kind of stuff. Let's just talk a little bit more about the wooden squat rack because in this, yeah. there's, there's a picture of this in the article. It was, I, I think there was in the article, but it, basically yeah. it's it's two buckets. These like Home Depot all-purpose buckets that you filled with cement and then you put two wooden planks in the cement and then a crossbar or something to that effect. I didn't see it that closely. Um, I'm an engineer, Joe's an engineer. We're always thinking, <laughs> Grant's laughing for anybody who can't see right now. Clip the, the tail. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, clip the tail. Talk a little bit about the tinkering process, if you will, for coming in with that design and how confident did you have to feel making that to start putting it in customers' homes? So it's clearly people are used to seeing metal squat racks, not wooden squat racks. Was that a hard bridge to gap in people's minds? Um, not really. And, and here's what I mean by that. So I had made one before in the, uh, Marine Corps or few, right. When we were in areas where, you know, you go with what you had. Right. And so in that design, we had had a bunch of like, you know, a, a plank upright, then a plank that was going to hold the bar, then a plank that would keep the bar from falling off. We had stacked these things and cemented them. And I had my first time I ever squatted 405. I did it off of one of those. Um, and I had loaded those up in the past, you know, to 700 and saw that they wouldn't fail. So that's the first style we made. But the problem with that is it's made to your height. So, you know, and what we were doing at this point was only gi- we were giving these away to our members, people that had already signed liability waivers, all that kind of stuff. So 
we started doing that and then we found out that the height adjustment didn't work out. So then basically we went to something like this, a four by four, you know, we had a drill press right over there and every two inches we'd be cutting a hole through it and then had a bolt that went through to hold the bar so that now when a member came up to pick up their gear, you know, whether it's, you know, uh, five foot two, this person or six foot, you know, now, now it could, we could just give them one thing. When I transitioned was the moment someone said, I'd like to give you money for one of those and come down from LA and buy it. And I didn't know them. And I said, okay, we got to go to steel. Um, because, and, and at the time that seemed right. like, Whoa, we're going to make something out of steel. Um, right. you know, but that was, you know, now it wasn't, I was helping my community, my small group of community. It was like, Hey, you know, people there, there's liability here that I have to account for. So I feel like early on, I wasn't that worried about it because everyone we were putting in their homes, I knew them. And then as soon as it transitioned beyond that, we left wood, which apparently we should have kept because I mean, lumber is crazy. <laughs> Yeah, I should have yeah. kept all those racks. Yeah. And, uh, and Jim, before you ask another question, I uh, I think that I saw that this setup or a version of your setup, it, it became a meme. Like I saw it all over Instagram. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Deep corners of Twitter that I never would have thought I would have before. Yeah, people made fun of it. Um, the first time I put it uh, for sale was actually for a friend of mine's gym in LA. And he said, you know, hey, I have members that see what you're doing and they – you know, want it. And I said, well, I've been doing it for my members who's on a fee. Like, you know, I'm going to have to charge for it. He's like, oh yeah. And so I had sold t-shirts on Shopify and stuff like that. So we threw it up there and I, you know, I sent him the link and I didn't think we'd get the traffic we got. Uh, but then, yeah, there was a bunch of memes of, about it, but you know, it's, it's funny. I mean, all publicities, most publicity is good, but it's, uh, you know, people are like, oh, that's a ripoff. I think we were selling it for one ninety nine. Well, that's a ripoff. Well, well, you can go to Home Depot and do that yourself. I'm like, you absolutely can. We right, actually no. made a YouTube video on how to do it. And you people started emailing <laughs> us right. and saying, will you make one for me? And if right. I'm going to do that, it's going to cost you. And I think, Grant, you even, even put the designs online, correct? And even put the designs. Yeah, oh, yeah. all online. And then some of the yeah. big name guys in the garage world stole them. And then later they gave me credit when we came out with plates. <laughs> and they're like, hey, oh, yeah, I actually found a design for it uh let me i I, i'm just curious what what steps is your company involved with now in terms of manufacturing what right right now today it's you know so so covid happened you had to adjust all that kind of transpired now it's may 2021 what what is starting or i'm sorry what is strength co manufacturing and making now what are your supply chains what are you guys giving to customers yeah so here you know in orange county we make these racks um, and when I say we make them, you know, now I have a, a steel shop that has all our designs loaded and everything's later laser cut CNC, right? Like I don't own that equipment, you know, before we were cutting and welding and stuff, but now this is all done professionally powder coated here. Um, we make, you know, the little attachments and things like, um, that ourselves, you know, like the hook that goes on, yeah, you know, it's yeah. got to have a hole tapped into it and threaded so you can put this plastic on it. So we do a lot of like the finishing stuff, you know, ourselves in house, but the major stuff, you know, we have a company here that does that as far as racks. So we make two variants of racks, this big one, and then like basically the wooden stand version, but out of steel sure. and the ability to connect them together and kind of build it out a little bit. Um, so that's what we do there. Our bar manufacturers in Minnesota, um, and we, have them make, you know, so many, and, and we'll talk about fulfillment in a second, but they also ship for us directly from there. And then, you know, the only thing I'd say that we actually manufacture and we actually don't, but where, I mean, it's, you know, our design, our equipment that I, we purchase that makes it is, is the plates. And that's in, that's in Wisconsin. And there's a lot of steps to that. And, you know, maybe we'll get into some of that. I won't bore you with too many details, but, you know, things are casted in one city. So now you have the plate itself. Right. Then you got to set up tractor trailers and get it all loaded to this other city a few hours away. By the way, that trucking from there to there is bananas right now. Right. And then you get there and everything's got to be machined, gets finished machines. You got to be protected from rusting. You got to put it in a VCI bag. You know, you got to spray with RP, all this stuff. Now it's got to get tractor trailer again to this other e-coding facility. And so that's just all happening in Wisconsin. And, um, and you know, it's, that's that in of itself, you know, a lot just to get the product ready. Right. Okay. Now, where do we want it to go? So most of it comes to California. Georgia's open now. I'm trying to get something open in Pennsylvania. But long term, you know, 
I want to get product close to the consumer to bring shipping costs down. So, you know, we can ship really well out of California for, you know, about half. The Northeast is still where we struggle, even out of Georgia. Um, but so figuring all that out and, you know, when is the truck going to land? Do you, can you deliver on a weekend? You know, yada, yada. So I, don't, I may have gotten too far off topic, but no, no, um, that's yeah. Perfect. My, I always... In terms of the, in terms of the line of equipment, yeah. it's everything I think you need to get strong. Yeah. So outside of the only thing we haven't made that I like still think you need to make is the shoes. Right. So we actually manufacture belts to answer your question. Okay. Shoes. Oh, cool. You got to have so many last, like, I don't know if it's economical, but my, my thought process is if someone, you know, believes that they need to get strong, they can go one place and have the whole thing shipped to them and includes, you know, maybe some coaching online or something like that. Awesome. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, kind of the entrepreneurship and the mindset that you had reading through the LA times article that we, we were just talking about. Um, I was taken away by one quote that you said, you said, I'm all in. I think that if you just genuinely take care of people, I don't see how it could turn bad. So <laughs> I want to talk about that mindset. Like when you went into this, it seems like you didn't go into it for selfish purposes. You went into it for, you know, in, to try and help your gym members to try to help the community in a way. Um, do you think that that selfless mindset helped uh, bring you some of the success that you now have? You know, yeah, I, I do. I, I, you know, and maybe we got, you know, just fortunate with some chance, but I think I remember calling my dad and he's like, what are you doing? You're emptying your gyms. You know, those are your fixed assets, whatever. And I just yeah. said, dad, this reminds me of like crisis in the Marine Corps deployed when like stuff hits the fan. And I was like, and I just really think people need leadership. And everyone's like sitting at home and like down in the dumps. And like when we would roll up with like some Home Depot buttons and a barbell and some rusted weights, they're like, oh my gosh, like people care about me. And so, you know, I think at first, I remember maybe two weeks into it, it all happened so fast. People saying like, oh, what are you going to be like the next Rogue Fitness or whatever? And I'm like, no, no, no. We're just like trying to get our members through this. You know, I, you know, in the early days, I wasn't thinking like, hey, I'm going to build an equipment company. Uh, it was about taking care of people. And I think, you know, that's, that's kind of the Marine um, mindset of, you know, taking care of the people on your left and your right and, and your small nucleus, you know, if people have that mindset, you know, it pays off. And I, I think when I was talking to the LA times, um, they got it mostly right, but they were more asking me, you know, if, if I thought it was a dumb business decision or something like that. And I just said, well, if I'm taking care of people, like how could it be a bad one? Meaning, you know, I, if you're doing the right thing, it may have been a bad business decision, right? I could have gone bankrupt. I was all in, but in right. terms of, Hey, if I, if what I'm doing is a good motive and what we're doing as a company is to generally care for people, how can it be bad? Um, you know, in terms of, you know, what happens, even if, even if the company, you know, goes broke. I, I like that story because it just reminds me this idea of perseverance. There's a quote, I think, from Albert Einstein, this idea that he never thought that he was smarter than other people, but he thought that he would stay with the problem longer than other people. This idea of just not giving up, that you try one thing, it doesn't work. Well, you just try something else. And it sounds it's like just you a, brought that mindset throughout every step of this. It was, can we just use things online? Well, they need to have racks. Can we give them the racks? Right. Well, we got to go buy them. Can we make them out of wood? Sure. <laughs> and then right. just yeah, have no. going. No, it's a great quote. I mean, I think it's a, I think it's a can-do mindset. You know, it's it's uh, this isn't always true in everything, but we would have a saying in you know marine logistics when you're moving something, you get a call from you know someone downrange. Maybe they want artillery. Maybe they need physical product, and you know you'd answer and say the answer is yes. What's your question? I mean, like we're gonna make it happen, right? right. Like we'll figure out the details. Like what do you need? And so um, yeah, I think that's a yeah, it's an important mindset, and for business owners. Yeah. I mean, what's the other option, you know, right. skin, let's talk skin in the game, all that stuff. Like, otherwise you're rolling over. And, and I, I, so many people went out of business in, in this state and this County and good people, so many gyms that I've visited around the country over the years that went out of business. And, you know, part of it, it was a, um, a system that was inevitable that came about through, you know, a virus. And then, you know, part of it is, Hey, that's what, you know, not being fragile is, is all about, right. Is being able to, to handle what's um, unforeseen or foreseen, you know, depending uh, all that stuff, but, but yeah. Yeah. And absolutely. And again, but it wasn't easy. And I, oh, no. I joked about, 
the reason right. I joked about the PowerPoint is like we were, you know, just right. running through town, figuring stuff out. And there's some right. stuff that, you know, I did that, you know, plummeted. You know, we still we were really early on on masks and on a mask way early on. We were producing those things, but bought sewing machines, you know, doing everything. And then, you know, I ended up holding, you know, not a ton, but, you know, a couple thousand. Right. That Because all of a sudden everyone was making masks. Right. right. So you're sitting there, you know, holding the bag of masks and you're like, these are literally have like a shelf life because at some point it's going to be bonfire material. And so, yeah. you know, there's there's lots of decisions you make and some are right and some are wrong. But I think like for me, it was very clear. I'm, I still want to make people stronger. Pandemic, no pandemic, open, closed, like people have to be stronger. Um, and so that that was a nice guiding principle. I, it just reminds me of a principle we talk about on the show all the time, which is from Peter Thiel, the idea of having an optimistic and deterministic mindset that things can get better. And if you put a plan in place, it won't be perfectly executed. It won't have perfect, you know, clairvoyance, but it will give you a path with which to guide your decision-making into the unknown. And uh, right. just seeing that through and through with this, with this example. We, we, uh, we call it a 70% solution in the Marine Corps. And that's exactly what the wooden, what, what the wooden squat rack is, right? Like it, it was, it was Hey, something to get things going. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I wanted just to, to quickly move on to our social media shout out for this week and then pass it back to you for some more questions. So uh, this week, and I know this is a person that uh, that Grant Brogy knows, we're going to give a shout out to Joe Norman. Uh, Joe Norman's on Twitter. He's obviously a genius, does a lot of research and discussions on complexity, complexity theory. Um, a lot of it's over my head. One of the projects he's been involved with now for quite some time and continues to post about it on Twitter is homesteading. He always has cool things about homesteading on his channel. Um, and it's a lot of fun to follow and a lot of fun to kind of see him put this together. Um, it's been very enjoyable. So for anybody, of course, follow Grant. Grant's also on Twitter as well. Uh, but if anybody following Grant, also be sure to check out Joe Norman's handle as well. Yeah, he's great. He likes, he, he likes ham. He likes maple syrup. He cures a, <laughs> a bunch of meat. Like, you know, I hope he's deadlifting, but no, that's good. That's a fun, a lot of it's over my head too. But then I'm like, ah, oh, some of the, this is basic East Coast living right here. That's right. <laughs> Very good. So Joe, give it back to you. And then uh, we'll hop on to our next section, which is going to be about design. Um, great. How did you get in, um, involved or interested in some of the teachings by like um, Nassim Taleb and people like that? It seems like it's very different from from a, a lot of other Marine Corps teachings, or is it? So I think there's a lot of similarities in what we call Marine Corps Doctrinal Publication One: War Fighting, um, that you know talks about keeping tempo over your enemy, speed, all these uncertainty, fog of war, uh, complexity. Uh, and it's kind of the officer's kind of guidebook. Um, and I think there's actually a lot of similarities. Um, I, I eventually found him through uh, Rip. Everyone's seen the photo of them in the uh, Mini Coopers. And then a friend of mine gave me Fooled by Randomness. And if yep. you've ever played poker, gambled or anything and like that sort of thing, you're like, oh, what, what? <laughs> they made a cheat book for this? Right. Exactly. Phenomenal, <laughs> right? Uh, it probably slapped me for saying that. But, uh, but yeah, so kind of found that stuff and then, you know, just really took off and, uh, you know, kept diving in and then, uh, yeah. So that's kind of how I ended up there. And plus just real quick, Grant, you talking about skin in the game earlier, which is of course one of the seems guiding principles in life. And of course, I'm sure that's extremely important in the Marine Corps, but just also just day to day as a business, you talk about skin in the game, you know, who are your, who are your, your stakeholders, you know, everybody that depends on you, you talked about keeping care of your employees as well as your customers. I think that that mindset is extremely important. And I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm happy to hear somebody actually in business, saying oh, it's, it's, it's a core principle that we live by in this company is to take care of everybody that we work with. And not just like for me as the owner, a lot of times we just think skin of the game is that, but I'll tell you like the guys that do customer service for me. Sure. I mean, we've, we've ran into problems, delays, but they're so bought into the vision and the company and you know what they've been doing and kind of what they went through in the heart of the pandemic that it's like, I mean, I, I you know, I can, I can see, you know, stress levels rise when stuff goes wrong or a truck's going to be late because they're thinking of all the people and they don't have to, they could just think like, hey, it's over. Or I see them responding 10 p.m. at night. Hey, we know we're sorry, whatever the case is. Um, and so it's it's fun to try. And, and it's and it's really, you know, it's in the Marine Corps, everyone's got an element of skin of the game from raising the right hand. But, you know, the, at the same time, they become a government employee. And so, you know, it's not as easy as you're fired. It's actually grant you have to make this guy work because that's who you're taking to combat whereas 
it, on the business side, you know, you can kind of build a culture, select, and if people don't work out, you know, and so that's been kind of nice for me. And I've just been real fortunate on the people um, that we've found, you know, everyone thinks it's not that everyone thinks it's me, but, you know, they see me as kind of the face of it, but man, the, from the coaches to the, you know, everyone, it's, um, it's, it's very grateful. So let's move on to our kind of our, our last section. We know Grant's busy, so we'll uh, try to get through these uh, and give them time to answer some of these questions. We wanted to talk about design because at least from my point of view, it's hard to, it, it looks like a lot of gym equipment is kind of all the same. And I'm really curious to kind of see how Grant, you know, now that he was making his own stuff kind of worked through these, uh, these design principles. And I remember there's a, a book that Mark likes, it's called Engineered to Win. And it talks about uh, essentially the ins and outs of Formula One racing design. And I've never read the book, but I, I understand, I think I understand why Mark likes it. Mark likes when there's a right way to do something, you do it the right way. You don't do it the right. other way, you do it the right way. That's why right. Mark came up with starting strength lifting, because when you want to get strong, this is how you get strong. And so right. just kind of just broadly opening up a little bit, Grant, talk a little bit about the design process. And then I know Joe and I have some questions for you afterwards. Sure. So, I mean, I think ultimately for design, and it, it kind of goes on depending on what the product is. But a lot of the part of the design is who, who's it for? What are we trying to do? And so, you know, back to the first steel racks that were a, uh, you know, a, a version two, if you will, of the wooden ones. The whole point of that is Joe and Jimmy had no plans of opening a home gym, but now they have to. And so how do we design this so that, um, you know, they can put it in a small space or put it somewhere um, that they can, you know, put up and bring out, et cetera, et cetera. So that, that was a big part in terms of the functionality. So that was one. And then with that, I'm not an engineer. You are, um, I have lifted for a long time on good equipment, bad equipment, but our, our goal was to overbuild everything, yeah. right. Overbuild everything to help with, you know, the liability or just, you never know what people are going to do in the weight room. There's some, there's some, uh, morons out there. So that was kind of the deal with the smaller squat rack for the bigger squat rack. Most people I'd found over the years don't like to drill things into their garage floor. For whatever reason, I worked in concrete before the Marine Corps. I promise you your garage slab can handle it, but I just know maybe they don't have the tools, but something in there they think like the foundation's going to crack. And so they want to just place it. So, you know, these racks I have in my gym have, you know, just feet on them. Hardly anything touches the floor itself and they're all drilled in and then boom, you're good. So we tried to make something that there was a lot of surface area touching the floor, still easily buildable but that someone could put it in their garage and they're done, right? They can immediately use it. So that was kind of the feature for that. For bars, there's way too many bars in existence and being made. Uh, that's probably engineered to win. There's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it in terms of the type of steel, which results in diameter, all that stuff. You can make a 29 millimeter or 28 and a half or, or more. I went with 28 and a half to start because, you know, the most amount of hands can get on it. You know, 29, you start to exclude some people. Um, everything was designed kind of for general, you know, strength, um, you know, that because that's what we were ultimately trying to trying to teach people. And then um, for plates, you want me to go into that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, yeah, that's a little that's a little bit more because now, you know, for this stuff, we could change on the fly all the time. Hey, add some holes there so we can right. hang stuff up. Put this like that so we can do that. It's all right here for plates. You know, there's something called tooling, which is at the foundry that makes the, you know, the void that you're going to have in the mold pour the iron in. And, you know, that stuff's not it's not cheap and right. so you know when you design that you've got to uh you know know what you're doing so we we cared a lot about accuracy uh meaning that they weighed what they said they weighed um we cared about handling you know because who are we training and and now our plates go all over the place but i thought of it as a coach in the gym who am i training well you know the 50 year old woman when she finally picks up that 45 it's probably the first time she's ever picked up a 45 and so you know it's going to be a lot of work for her so you know, we wanted something we call the lip depth. So there's like a, a crevice you can get, you know, four fingers under there and grab it. Yeah, exactly. So we wanted that to be deep. I wanted them to be thin. I don't like deep dish or bumper plates. A lot of people like bumper plates, but now the load is getting away from the lifter. There's more whip on the bar. There's more things that can go wrong. So we wanted them to be thin. Uh, we wanted the inner diameter to be tighter. Uh, so there's not all this like slop on the bar. And so, you know, we went after that. And in some things we nailed, you know, and then, but I remember getting the first sample 45s and I basically had, I had the lip depth, right. But the face of the lip, I mean, it looked like a clown plate. 
And uh, I was <laughs> like, oh, no, are you kidding me? And it also got to the point where if you had smaller hands, it had a nice lip, but you had this big handful now, whereas it should, you know, you'd be able to get a thumb down farther yeah. on the back. So we had to retool that, you know, big expense uh, to basically, you know, you almost remake that whole thing. And so, but I, I think the overall for all of this stuff is the design was for people that want to get strong for general health. There's all kind of stuff you can have for power lifters, Olympic lifters. I mean, you really get crazy, but you know, for the, for the average guy that says, Hey, like, I don't want to be pathetic as I age, you know, I don't care if I deadlift 900 pounds, but you know, I don't want to be pathetic. Right. We, we tried to design for that. And most of what we did or how we came to conclusions was from years of coaching. And that's where I realized now that I'm on the side, I remember used to see designs of plates like who would make this. And now that I've done it, I'm like, Oh, people that, you know, are businessmen and probably hopefully good ones, but they've never done this. So right. they have no idea. So right. they're making, you know, really dumb designs. Yeah, I think that's a it's a really great answer, Grant. You covered pretty much all of our design questions we had there. Yeah. Um, before I hand it over to Jim, uh, I got to ask you, Grant. I I need some numbers. Like, what what, what are you benching? What are you squatting? What are you lifting nowadays? Yeah, all time or currently? Both. Uh, yeah. Okay. So both. all time, I'm a 500 squatter. Missed 515. 500, the uh, highest uh, complete bench. I've done uh, 375 um overhead press i've done 265 and deadlifts i've done 575 currently um you know i haven't had as much time to train and to kind of take a, a away from that i i haven't missed two sessions in a week since you know this whole thing started but this is why it's so important to get strong you know while you can because yeah it's much easier to maintain up here at the, these levels. So you got a guy that comes to the gym, he's super weak, comes for two weeks, and he takes a week off and he's back down. And he comes for three weeks and he takes two weeks off. And he just kind of like lives down here because while he's getting adaptation session to session, he's not getting structural adaptation over time that happens from years of lifting. So uh, last week I squatted 430, um, you know, for a triple uh i'm still deadlifting around 500 upper fours um pressing over 225 benching over 315 right in there but not you know I, i'd like to really every now and then get on a good training thing but i basically i try and go three times a week sometimes it's two but i do two lifts a session so you know today i'm going to teach someone here a little bit to lift and then i'm going to lift and uh i'll squat lighter for higher reps and then i'll bench heavy and so you know i kind of alternate those things but i'm not by no means the um, the there's always someone stronger, but I, those sound impressive to to you to to some. But there's people way you know higher sure, than that. Yeah. That yeah. That uh. But for me, I wanted to see. I hit my my peaks at 242 body weight, um, and I really wanted to play with like okay, when I come down to 210, you know what can I still do? Sure. And so um, you know, for instance, I competed at 242 and eight team squatted at 519 i just posted this last night at 210 i squatted 476 so i almost lost like my body weight off the squat which i thought was a good trade press went from you know 265 to like 250 and so but why is that possible because of those structural adaptations right. over time everyone wants to put on lean mass you want to get strong you got to put weight on what i'm advocating for down the line is you can't carry that weight forever right because right. that's you know not good for the health longevity long term what do you squat, Joe? What do I squat? Um, I could probably put up 185 for about five nowadays. Yeah, a little bit more right. on deadlift. <laughs> Have you guys tried the starting strength program? Either of you, like, actually implemented yeah. it? Yeah. I will. I will say 85. percent In other words, I, I don't think I ever like followed Mark to the letter, but I always focus on the core lift, yeah. bench, uh, squat, deadlift, and then I think Joe and I both like doing the weighted weighted pull ups. We do that as well. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. yeah, good. I wanted to, uh, Grant, I, I wanted to kind of, I was going to close out. I know that we're getting close to our time. Before I do, let me just say thank you for doing this. This was oh, yeah. I think, such a fun experience for Joe and my, myself. Um, it was great that, you know, we for everybody who knows, you know, we, we basically sent Grant a message saying, hey, we'd love to have you on the show. And uh, Grant, 
was happy to do it and he didn't need to do this and he did it anyways. And it was just so, we're just so grateful for that opportunity. Um, Grant, there's basically two reasons I wanted you on the show. And one was uh, we talked a lot on the show about different kinds of, of stagnation, in particular, some kind of technological stagnation. But there's a, there's seems to be a lot of people that are essentially fighting for the last word in a conversation that a growing number of people are just tired of having. And it's those people that are putting the boots on the ground and are trying to move things forward. And I read your story and I thought, Grant is one of these people. He's moving the dial and he's not waiting for permission. He's not waiting for anything like that. He sees opportunity, he goes for it. And I think that is a mindset that all of us need more of. So that was the first thing. The second thing is more related to, Bill and I have talked about this on our own and I think you'll agree with us, but there is a very, a very real way that putting somebody in the gym, getting their lifts up, helps that person develop as a person. That it is easier to stand for things. It is easier to have moral conviction when you have self-esteem and it is easier to have self-esteem when you have a big ass deadlift. It's just very simple. And yep. knowing that you're out there helping people train these lifts is extremely important. And I know that you know it's important, but I, it's important for me that you know that you have a fan base that truly looks at what, you're, at what you are doing and is seeing something really important taking place. And so for all those reasons, we're just very happy that you came on the show and spoke with us this afternoon. And uh, I encourage every single person follow Grant on Twitter. Not only does he have funny posts, but he also will, 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 will tweet out people in his gym that are having big lifts that day. He's such a good coach. I can just tell from the enthusiasm that his clients bring to the gym. And it's a lot of fun to see people progress on his Twitter feed. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. This has been a, this has been a blast and thanks for the kind words, but no, I think back just a little bit, I think, you know, the self-esteem, all that stuff and the ability to, to know how to do stuff that's hard. I think that's why the staff here, um, you know, has succeeded. You know, I, everyone that works for me lifts uh, every single person. And, and it really is kind of life-changing stuff. So I think that's important. And no, it's cool to hear that, uh, you know, we've kind of lived it. And, you know, I've done a few of these, not many where, and even today as I'm like, forgot you know yeah, we did that oh yeah we did that you know because it just it, it all happened so yeah. fast but what i think is cool that you mentioned that i don't always think of uh until someone will message me you know on social media is oh wow that person's gotten strong and i'm always like oh that's really cool not me they've watched like a certain person that they've never met like go from nothing to like something and i've been encouraged to know that you know when we're showing all this stuff and people lifting i've always done it try and help people like form wise um but i think people really it kind of over time, you know, I can't tell you how many people from online will say, well, you know, I've just been watching, it, you know, that this person that I see you post and I thought I better do this. So I think it's real important. Everyone should get to a barbell and uh, get the work done. Well, we couldn't agree more. Grant, thank you again for joining us. Uh, I'm Jimmy Hackett signing off for Joseph Stanford and Grant Brogy. And we'll see everybody later. Ciao.